I'd like to thank our top sponsors, Marcella Schirak, Ødespilder Nødrum, Anders Berge Christiansen and Joanna Kordos for supporting our show. And welcome to the 16th episode of the Cave of Apollos. We are told that the young Edward Munch was a naturalist, inspired by contemporary French painting. But a closer scrutiny reveals that student of Rembrandt is the most appropriate label. Consequently, his later production is not a continuation of the old masters, but a break from them, effectively illustrating the difference between kitsch and art. These are the views of my guest for the evening, kitsch painter Nick Thurman. Welcome to the Cave of Apollos. Hello, thank you for having me. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while and it's been great to... <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> to look at paintings as preparation. And uh, we'll get to Munch as I, as I mentioned in the introduction, but on the wall here, that sounds really nice. Refreshing. Yeah. It's a nice color too. Oh yes. <laughs> that would certainly be in the Apelles Palace. That's a proof. On the wall here are your drawings. Yes. And uh, I was thinking, I wanted to hear why you've been making those drawings because it's mm. a fun story. Um, but I have to say, since I've got to know you, you've had a fantastic development and you're working on large-scale compositions. We couldn't fit them in here now, so we'll have to do with the drawings. So what's going on here? Yes, well, all of these drawings have been made during what we call a drowning competition. Drowning competition? Otherwise known as drawing competition. <laughs> okay, that's more dramatic, yeah, right. Yes. I like that. And so the whole point is that we sit down for one hour with a model there, right. a live model. Right. And we all compete to make the best drawing of the model. Right. And the whole purpose of doing that is to improve our works. Mm. I mean, drawing is an excellent practice towards uh, to learning things which are useful in painting. Right, right. And the whole point of having the competition is that it really gets you in the mood, you know, to make a great drawing. Yeah, and if you have one hour, literally 60 minutes. 60 minutes, and that's that, it. That's it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and it's amazing that the stuff that you're able to do in one hour, like like that's uh, portrait up there to the left, that the beard there, the way, I mean, that's the thing that I've seen uh, in your uh, work uh, in the later months, I should say, because I haven't known it that long, mm. uh, that you, I mean, you always had this sort of very soft totality, but now you, you have also applied this, you know, the lines, the strictness of form, in the appropriate places and not too, not too hard, right? Yeah, yeah. But this is, I mean, um, you're also a member of what you call the Memorosa group, and it's mainly you guys doing this uh, this com uh, competitions, right? Yes. Well, I mean, it's mostly spurred by Odnerdrum. Okay. So right. he, uh, when he has pupils in the studio, then he wants to draw a live model. Yeah. 
but he will also invite the students to come and compete alongside him. Right. And so we uh, carried on the same routine, even when Odd uh, wasn't necessarily there for drawing competition. Right. And so, yeah, half of these were made uh, actually just together with the Memorosa group. Right, right, right. When Odd wasn't there. Right. And it's, um, yeah, it's so funny because I, I teach courses and I have some students and of course I've shown them uh, this type of work, you know, Odd Nerdrum's drawings like that and, and from the you, you students. And, uh, and uh, one of my students I was asking, well, what is this technique called? And mm. I thought, I don't know. And I just thought of, you know, that scene from, from uh, The Gladiator? Where the, this, the, the guy is training them says shadows mm. and dust. Yeah. And I just wrote, it's called shadows and dust. Oh, okay. Then <laughs> she had a name and she was very happy about that. So, for, I mean, after that, they'll just refer to this as the shadows and dust uh, drawing oh, yeah. technique. Yeah. That, that's a great way to describe it. Yeah, but, it's, but it is. I mean, it's, like, it's just, mm. I mean, it's kind of like uh, working in a wet, in wet technique in, in, mm. <clears throat> in painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, okay, I mean, like a short description of what you basically are doing when you're drawing. Um, like, how do you start? Oh, well, sometimes it varies. But uh, when it goes to the best, then the first thing I start with is to get the form. Mm. If I get the whole head there and approximately where all of the features should go, mm. then it goes very well because I have a good structure to work on. Right, right. And then uh, a technique which I learned from Odd from watching him draw, is that he will often wipe out the face with toilet paper. Right. And so this makes all of the transitions and the lines much softer. Mm -hmm. And then you have a very good base to go back in and start adding highlights and making sharp lines and putting things just where you want them. Right. And now this top left drawing, that's uh, one you made of Sebastian Salvo. Correct, yes. And then the top, the <laughs> bottom right one is William Heimdall. And I'm yes. singling out those two because those are also part of the Memoroso group. And, yes. uh, and the, the top right the top is the newest member of the Memoroso group, yes. Javier Adams. Right, right, yes. right. So, but, but you guys had an exhibition now in, uh, in a town in Norway, mm -hmm. not too long ago. And uh, we'll get to the whole Bergen thing because the city of Bergen is like the where the whole conversation starts, basically. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Um, but you guys have made some dogmas That's for the Memorosa group. Yes. Now you have to explain that because when people hear dogmas, they're like, "Oh, holy shit! This is uh, what is, what's going on here." Yeah, yeah. So, well, first of all, what are the dogmas? Well, uh, for starters, it's it's about timeless and archetypical motifs. Right. And so that's uh, listed in the dogmas. I, I'm paraphrasing a bit. But uh, the whole point is that the dogmas are uh, guidance right. for how you should make the best painting. And when you have uh, dogmas rather than uh, religion, mm -hmm. then you have something which is very solid to work upon. So, so the whole point... Okay, but that sounds counterintuitive because people say, well, dogma, that is religion. Like, you, you have yeah, to yeah. do this and there's no room for anything else. Like, so how do you explain that? Well, the way I would justify that is that you look at work right. and see what the results are. Because and they point you to an empirical study of... Yeah, exactly. ...pictures or nature. Yeah, but also among the uh, dogmas, we have uh, to paint from life, to not use blue, 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, yeah. A, a lot of people have a problem with that one yeah, in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's funny. We'll get to blue in uh, during our monk, uh, the monk part of the conversation. Yeah. yeah. And the ultimate goal is the eternal masterpiece. Right. And so all of the dogmas are leading towards that. Right. Right. And the thing about photo is, I mean, a lot of people use photo or reference photo. It's like, yeah. is there a, I mean, I, I tend to say to my students, I don't have an ideological problem with photo, but mm. it, partly it gives you wrong information and insufficient information. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, sort of a platonic idea. So it's not the real, real thing. <laughs> it's a copy yeah. of the copy yeah. of, yeah, whatever. But, but that is uh, true. I, yeah. I mean, it's true that if you look at the results of working from a photo yeah. versus working from life, yeah. most often people are going to do much better working from life. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like I had to do some portrait commissions from photo because of, you know, access to the model, but also the one time the model was dead. So it was kind of a problem. <laughs> okay. um, uh, and of course, it, it and in that case, I, just, I said to the guy who commissioned it, I will not attempt any kind of painterly, uh, you know, circus tricks or whatever here. Mm -hmm. I'll just be sort of, just sort of copy the color form and, and that's it. Yeah. Because if not, you, I mean, in a photo, you don't see how the skin is, yeah, is yeah. necessarily the structure of yeah. the skin. You start making strokes that tells you about how the skin looks and then it goes mm -hmm. in a totally wrong direction. Right? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at a photo, you're getting very condensed information already. Yeah, yeah. And it's much more flat yeah, and than what you see in life. Right, right, right. And then, I mean, when a drawing is sort of flat, then you don't want a flat uh, vantage point for what you're doing. Yeah, right? exactly. But then, then we're actually getting into sort of the art thing here, because painting from photo is a typical, you know, contemporary art thing or uh, you know, showing that we are using modern means we mm -hmm. are modern people um, and in that context i also wanted to before i really lay out the the, the, the main topics for the evening uh, you were uh, could i say a central part at least one of the faces of the kitschified hashtag kitschified campaign Yes, that's correct. So what's, what is all that all about? And for people who haven't seen the website, what is the website and like, mm -hmm. what's going on there? I mean, the whole purpose, the goal of the Kishavide campaign is that we want to distinguish between the values of art and the values of Kish. Right. And the main way, the main way by doing that is by showing <clears throat> paintings which are made uh, in the Kish value system right. are not art, particularly the old masters. Mm. None of their paintings were made in the tradition of art. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but they didn't have that term at the time when they were conceiving these paintings. Right. It wasn't referred to as fine art in, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Right. and uh, I mean, many of them, they didn't have the term art mm. uh, as it's known today. But even the, the fine arts, I mean, that didn't come until later than many of the old masters. Right. And that was the first step in delineating between uh, what is known as the classical tradition and what became modern art. Right. So this meant that it had the spirit when it was uh, classified in the fine arts. Right, right, right. But in this Kitschified campaign, um, you, there have been, uh, there, there are these uh, sort of uh, stories about what people have experienced yes and i mean i i kind of know them from bef from before i mean before the whole mm. campaign because yeah. you know that's what you hear from from different people all over right that they go to 
the schools at best they don't learn anything or they spend really quite a few years on well not learning anything wasting their yeah, time yeah. basically yeah so you want to really highlight i mean not just through sort of facts cultural historical facts but mm -hmm. make it really a personal issue like this this really affects people's lives right yeah yeah exactly yeah and that's uh i mean that's the personal component yeah, yeah. that you see how it actually influences people in their yeah, everyday yeah. life yeah yeah I mean, because one one thing is you can talk about well german philosophy is so and so but you know it has a specific consequence right? yeah exactly okay um so um as I said in, in the introduction, in, in, uh, this evening we'll be looking at some really surprising similarities between the technique of the young Edward Munch and the exceptional technique of Laetitian and Rembrandt. Yes. And, uh, but even more important, I think we'll, we'll see how similar they are concerning what they perceive as the, the goal of painting. I mean, mm. when it comes to their sense of life, as Ayn Rand would put it. Yes. And uh, which readily brings us to the central topic for the evening, kitsch. Uh, kitsch has been accused of a lot of things. Uh, so what are the uh, correct signifiers of kitsch and which ones are fake? Yeah. And uh, not to forget, if there is an ancestor or ancestors of the kitsch idea, then it is the Greek-Roman way of thinking. So this brings us back to the exhibition you had in Bergen. Yes. But there was another competing exhibition at the same time. What was it? That was Edward Munch. Yeah. And so they had a large collection of his works uh, spanning through his whole life. But uh, the ones that we focused on, because I went together with the Memorosa group, were his best works. Yeah. The ones that were made in the old masterly tradition. And... I mean, as soon as you go into this exhibition, then you're struck by one of these, mm. which is Inger on the Beach. Yeah, yeah. And that is, I mean, it's so obviously uh, that he's imitating the old masters. Yeah. So you hadn't seen Monk before at all? No, I, I hadn't yeah. seen him in life yeah. at all. Uh, and what was your reaction? I mean, this is, this is what we're talking about here. Mm. And there's, I mean, it's so apparent that in the whole structure, the composition, where he puts the focus, is just like the old masters. Yeah, yeah. He's doing it with a purpose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> that, that's, uh, it, it, I had seen these paintings before, and the, the, the funny thing is that when they hung the exhibition, mm -hmm. which has a lot of his so-called expressionist uh, works, which is a self-contradictory term if there ever, ever was one, um, but they, they hung all the works on dark walls as mm -hmm. if he was an old master. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know what's going on there, but it was perfect. It was really nice. And you could see the works in a much better way than I'm used to seeing them. Mm -hmm. Because they're generally on lighter walls, right? Yeah. So you got the really focus on the images and, and, and their effect on people. But, I mean, uh, so, so, so what specifically, technically, would you describe as a similarity between, well, late Rembrandt and Munch, if you choose to mm. those two? Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, it's the totality. Yeah. That he's, he's focused on life. Yeah. He's concerned with the single figure. And he always puts the focus on the face. Right. 
And so he's not concerned, uh, for example, in Inger on the beach. He's not concerned with these rocks that are around or the background with all this water and some men on a boat. Right. He, he wants everything to come back to her. So you can focus on that. Yeah. I mean, that, that struck me too when I, I was looking at it, that uh, some of these rocks mm. could even appear slightly na slightly naive. Yeah. And, and you wonder what, the, what is going on here? Yeah. <clears throat> but then <clears throat> when you look at it, I mean, when you look at, well, that's a, that, that's a, that, 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 that is a really uh, specific similarity, right? Yeah. What happens when you look at someone and you look at their face and you mm -hmm. see their hand moving? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's how he works. Yeah. Is that he paints the surroundings as if you're looking at the face. In the side vision. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you get a focus. Yeah, yeah. And it makes it very obvious where he wants you to look. Yeah. I think that is really a major thing. I mean, if you can understand that, then you really understood quite a bit. Mm -hmm. That when you are looking down and you're looking at the model's hands, and you're painting the hands, don't paint everything as as sharply as you see them. Yeah, You have to remember when you're looking at it, seeing it sharply, that this is something I'm seeing in my side vision. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's incredible. It's, it's, it's amazing. And this uh, self-portrait with a cigarette. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much air in the painting. Mm. It's incredible. He, he has a whole atmosphere around. Yeah. So you really get this sense of space. Yeah. And that's, that's something else which you find in the old masters. Yeah. And, but, but the actual, like, how does he create space? Mm. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and also there's, there's, the, there's the aspect of, which is really fascinating, Speaking of that uh, self-portrait, mm -hmm. which, which is perhaps the most clear example of it in Munk, I guess. Well, I would say um, in that exhibition, at least. Yeah, yeah at yeah. least, yeah. I mean, it, it's the aspect of movement. Yeah, exactly. So explain to us what's going on specifically. How does he create movement? Mm. Yeah, so he has this figure, which is uh, partly turned. Yeah. But his head is looking to you. And then he has a hand here with a cigarette. Yeah. And so on, on the shoulder here, which is uh, to the left side of the painting, he's given some sharp lines. So you get the sense that, okay, this, this side is sharp, mm. and then the other side is more soft, mm. and it's blending more into this blue mm. background. Mm. And then simultaneously, he's got this sleeve which hangs down. And on that sleeve, he makes it just dissolve into nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't really see exactly where it finishes. Right. And so that, uh, especially yeah. it gives movement to the arm yeah that he has this sharp line here and then a soft transition down right and so it looks as if you know he, he could be lifting his hand to smoke the cigarette or maybe he's right. walking through the room and he just glances over at you oh yeah and then you have the same sort of effects in the face yeah, yeah. Uh, there's this ear which is uh, the again on the left side and he blends that into the blue right so that it should be very soft on that side, as if he's coming into the room. So yeah, the side so which comes in first is more sharp. So the, the air, the, the air which is more, uh, has a softer contour line, he's leaving that yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's amazing. I can just sort of pull and push the, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. figure. That is amazing. And, uh, you know, and, and then also in that image, I mean, of course, there is just a lot of smoke, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the things that are details are the are the um, the hand 
and the face. Exactly, yeah, that's the focus. And, and that's it. And in that hand, uh, that's another example of where he's reflecting the old masters. That he has this softness mm. in the hand and still uh, he keeps warmth in the correct places to, to hold it together that you should see that it's warm, it's a hand. Yeah, yeah. And then he has uh, cer certain parts where it's dissolving into this blue. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I also tried the, the squint test. On yeah, that yeah, painting. yeah. Yes. It works, doesn't it? Oh, it absolutely works. Yeah, yeah. And so, I noticed. Okay, so explain what the squint test is. Yeah, okay. So when you want to find the focus in the painting, then you should close your eyes a little bit like this and squint at it. And then you'll find where the focus is. Because the thing which is uh, the most in contrast and has the most uh, essence will come forward and yeah. everything else will start to fade away. Mm. Mm. And when I tried the squint test on this painting, then not only, okay, it was apparent that the hand and the face are in focus, but also the arm started to move a little bit because he had all of these lines here around right, the shoulder. Right, 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 right. That's amazing. Yeah. And there, there's also, uh, I mean, that painting is really, you know, painted with really thin layers of paint. Yeah. But it's still extremely rough. Mm -hmm. And and there's a there's surprising concrete similarities, like how he uses the white, well, he paints on white canvas, mm -hmm. but he uses it as an integ integral color in the whole, uh, in the painting. Yeah, right? yeah, he lets it blend things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, and, I mean, the whole modernist idea is that you show canvas, mm -hmm. but he doesn't show canvas. He uses it as a you know, natural color. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also, also in that the one um, with the girl sitting on the bed, putting on her socks, she's looking out the window, mm -hmm. and that is really thick. Oh yeah. Thick layers of paint going on there. Yeah, in the arms and in the hands is is very yeah. thick. I mean, like the the, the hair. The, yeah, it's like a like a uh, remake of of you know the sleeve there on the Jewish mm. bride by by Rembrandt, mm -hmm. where you build up not just the color and the and the form, but the structure of it. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I would liken that to Rembrandt's uh, Simon with the Infant Christ. Yeah. Or or Titian's yeah. Pieta. Yeah, yeah. That you have all of these uh, delicate transitions. Yeah. Where you understand that it's moving into hair. Yeah. But it's blending. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At the same time. Yeah. yeah. Right. But then there's also the thing about, um, and, and well, it should be mentioned, I mean, this is basically a Greek way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The, the whole point is to give life to the work. Yeah. yeah. And then that's why he doesn't paint all the buttons on the self-portrait, mm -hmm. on, the, on the jacket there. Mm -hmm. That's why he subdues uh, contrasts and has contrasts other places so that you get this get movement right yeah yeah he's focused on the essence yeah but but then there's the thing about uh, um, uh, dreams you've been talking about mm -hmm. how you perceive things in dreams yeah and monk talked a lot about uh, how he perceived things in either dreams or memories right that he wanted to put that into the paintings right and so you don't see all of these uh, particular objects around or you know uh, all of these symbols mm. you just get the essence mm. the main characters and especially their faces right or their action what, what, what are they actually doing and then everything around is more soft or dissolving mm. 
and the colors aren't as strong overall. Mm. I mean, if you if you try to remember what somebody's face looks like, right, 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 right. Then you're not going to get uh, this full body and all of these objects around. Yeah, yeah. You'll you'll maybe get the the sort of caricature of the face. Right, right, right. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. No, he he employed that especially in uh, this painting called Moonlight. That's, oh, that's yeah. What, yeah. 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 And I nicknamed that one uh, Ghost Girl. <laughs> okay, yeah, 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 she has really pale skin. Yeah, and so that's one yeah. that allegedly he painted from memory. Oh. Of one of his uh, past lovers. Right. And so the face is extremely pale. Yeah. And you can see he's been struggling and struggling. But out of that, he gets something uh, really incredible. Yeah. Which is that you get the essence of the face. It's very, it's very similar to Carrier. Yeah, that's, that's true. But uh, he has all these delicate transitions and everything is just moving or uh, coming forward or receding based on the temperature. Right. And then he has this very, very soft red. About the only place he actually puts red is in the lips. And that's the focus of the painting. It's, it's not the eyes, but the lips. Right. And so there, if, if you look very closely, you can see he actually, he, he put a little fingerprint there. <laughs> to make the red in the lips. That's like a scene from a movie. Yeah. My God. And that's that's a great example of uh, memory yeah. painting. Yeah. But th th there's also another thing. I remember we we went to uh, Naples when we were doing the the Hunt of Odinurdum documentary, mm -hmm. and we saw this, some murals there from Pompeii. Mm -hmm. And there was one image there, and it was so worn down, so obviously it didn't look like that in in, in the original. Mm -hmm. But my God, it was there was some some green red contrast there. Yeah, that was almost exactly like seeing the hands of the sick girl. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a sick child by yeah. by a monk. So I mean, this is uh, okay. That that's by accident, I, I guess you could say. But it was so strange to see, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, of course, we know from Apelles uh, of of Apelles mm -hmm. that supposedly he painted in a rough manner. Yeah, yeah. And so exactly. this is this is something that has always been regarded as more living than some than the things that are have a clear outline, mm -hmm. clear colors, and all of that. Um, but uh, what do you think could have happened with Monk if he had continued? Like that. It, had he stayed uh, yeah. the straight and narrow down the Kish path. Yeah. I, I think he could have uh, made some really great works. Yeah. Uh, to the likes of Alden Erdrum or Titian. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about like the girls on the bridge. If he had done that the same way he did it, did, did the early works. Mm -hmm. My God. Yeah. But then, I mean, what's going on here is that that he does start to change. Yeah. And it goes pretty early on, it, it happens. Mm -hmm. What is the transition? I mean, like we have here the, the sick girl in the middle. Mm -hmm. And chronologically, actually, it's the uh, dance of life there to the left, which is the next, and then this uh, um, bathing scene. Yeah. So what's going on? I mean, there's, there's a sort of mix where he goes, mm -hmm. uh, kind of back and forth with his values and uh, what he's actually making in his work. Mm. 
But if you look at the, the grand scale of his life, mm. then it's very clear that there's been a philosophical change. Yeah. That he's actually had a change in his mind. And therefore, he's painting things very differently. Right. What is that change then? And what's going on? Uh, to put it very simply, is from Kish to art. Yeah. And I, th I think it was largely influenced by the people around him. Uh, the art critics, for example, and the people colleagues. he was in close yeah. circles with, yeah, his friends, colleagues. Yeah, because I know, I mean, there's one thing which is so strange. This is a man who was highly cultured, mm. had an amazing talent, and still went along with the times. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would think that the two uh, uh, strengths that he had would be sufficient to protect himself from fashion. Yeah. Um, but then he, at one point, apparently he sees these so-called expressionists, mm -hmm. like, uh, yeah, the German, German painters. And he's really affected by that and says, oh, I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> and that's so strange that he, he would do that, yeah. that he would change according to these things. So, yeah. so I mean, in that sense, Monk is really a good uh, case study of what goes on if you don't have your uh, your um, metaphysics, your sense of life, in order. Yeah, exactly. Right, because I think I mean, think about the conversation I had with Martinson on on in Rand, mm. uh, and she does talk about that how the the romantics had sort of a, a feel for where they were going. Mm -hmm. But then the ideas that were in, in their head went in the other direction. Yeah, 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 and it's a competition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have one part, which is your, your own ideas and your conception of things. And then you have this outside influence, which is coming in. Yeah. And, and that's what happened with Monk, is that he didn't have his philosophy very clear. Yeah. And so he had certain ideas, like when he painted The Sick Child, I think he had very clear Aristotelian ideas about how to make a great painting. Mm. But then he gets this outside influence, which starts to create a battle yeah and so he wanted to turn towards modernism to be uh, more accepted yeah i think the problem is, is to not be aware that you need clear values yeah because like one of the things that i i read about is how in that era they were increasingly and explicitly concerned with the subjective experience mm -hmm. that and this is the kantian genius mm -hmm. i express myself right? yeah and, and, and it, that's what his colleagues talked about a lot yeah yeah is that you should put yourself into the work yeah yeah this one this one this one quote i read in this book uh by emile Solar, mm -hmm. the french uh, the writer and it says that when i look at a work i look for the man who created the work yeah and that's where you get this thing where where your testimony is the quality of the work, not the quality of the actual, you know, the way the rendering or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. I think that's, that is what happened with Monk, that he, he um, you know, when you are, are just sort of receiving the ideas of the time, mm -hmm. and the ideas of the time are that you should just go with the flow, mm -hmm. then you have a problem, right? Absolutely. There's no, there's no clear direction of what you're doing. No, and uh, I mean, when it becomes so muddied, yeah. the values, then it's, it's going to be disastrous. It's more often than not going to turn 
towards modernism. Yeah, yeah. Because it's anti-craft. And that's why you guys are concerned with having dogmas, right? Yeah, exactly. So that you, uh, I mean, and as with all, I guess what you're saying with dogmas is that they're, they are uh, guiding principles, not specific descriptions per se. Yeah, yeah. no, and this is uh, what Aristotle said. You know, that first uh, you have to go based on nature. Mm. And you should make uh, your own empirical observations. Right. So we encourage people to try these dogmas and see how it changes their work. Right, right, right. We're not saying uh, you have to do this. It's, you know, be all end all. But <laughs> if you want to make a masterpiece, yeah. this is the guidebook how to do it. Right, right. And uh, because in our time still, I mean, we're living in the same culture. Mm-hmm. And and um, when you look at Munch, for example, or if you look at uh, uh, Lars Hartevig, who is basically the first old master painter, I guess you could say, in Norwegian painting. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem today is when you learn about these painters, you get indoctrinated with this whole idea of blood transfusion, as I call it. You find... I mean, like Hartwig, it's it's a horrible thing to do to a person. The guy is totally beat up, and then when he's lying down, they, they keep yeah. beating him yeah. because he was so poor. He had to paste tobacco paper together to be able to to work. Mm. And then they say, "Oh, he was uh, an expressionist. He was a modernist, yeah. and he wanted his work to deteriorate." Right. And I don't know if they did it in that time, but like, like, what's your take on this whole idea? Of, for, for example, on on the late Titian being you know, pre-expressionist. Oh, I mean, you heard that. Yeah, it's a hoax. Yeah. No, what they want to do is they want to degrade his work. Yeah. That's, that's the whole point. But it's uh, quite obvious, I think, that he was looking to uh, these writings from Pliny and he was studying Apelles and he wanted to work in a manner similar to Apelles. Right. And that's what he's trying to do. He, he wanted to get the most life possible. That's, that's why he made uh, brushwork, which they consider to be leading into expressionism, mm. that he had this fluid, rough technique. Yeah, and which is, I mean, it's basically what you described on about Munch. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. This creates movement. Mm-hmm. It's not strokes per se as such, but it's a tool to create movement, right? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, uh, and there are some other names that have been exploited by this cultural imperialistic tendency of art, if I should phrase myself in a, a bit sort of moderate fashion. Mm. Like what are other names are now expressionists from the 14th, 15th, 16th century? I mean, absolutely. You have uh, El Greco. Right. And also, uh, I think I've heard uh, Rembrandt classified in there as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what, what in El Greco is, that, is it that they say is modern, is... Well, yeah. So, so uh, what they say is that he was sort of the link towards uh, impressionism. Yeah, yeah. Or or expressionism. Yeah. But uh, what what they consider to be expressionist in his work is that he makes these elongated figures. Right. And you get this sort of uh, curving movement right. throughout the painting, and the very expressive so brush. He's sort of taking liberties with the forms. Yeah, somehow. yeah. yeah. I mean, if you regard it this or that that way, it's that's what it's doing, mm-hmm. and that's what they. Well, actually, you know what they're doing. This, what you know what this is called? What, what is this? This is cultural appropriation. 
Th that's actually what they're doing because yeah. they're taking this into uh, and saying that this is our uh, treasure, right? Mm -hmm. This is what leads 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 to us. He was an artist. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, but there's also Turner. Yeah, you know they found some unfinished works of his, and then they say, well, this is the way it's going. So <clears throat> I think the the the. Um, this is the thing that happens also with Munch. Not so much that it's heard stories like that, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I would say but it's very parallel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it's, it, but it's this, it's basically a Trojan horse. Mm. The whole idea of art, mm. fine art. Uh, and uh, yeah, actually, maybe you can fill us in a little bit on strictly the cultural historical aspect of fine art, the categorization stuff, before we sort of get into the, the principles of art. Because that's the thing we wanted to really use to 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 uh, contrast this with with the early monk. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, fine art came into being as a term to separate uh, the arts of painting and sculpture, and I, I think maybe music as well. Yeah, and architecture uh, and poetry. Yeah, it's like the five arts. Yeah, yeah. to separate that from the mere handcraft. Right. So they wanted to say that this isn't mechanical. And that's why today you would say, is it art or craft? Yeah, yeah. You have that separation. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the original purpose of doing that was that they wanted to be on an elevated level compared to those people. But the consequences were very disastrous right. because they introduced this idea that uh, being in the fine arts meant that they had a certain spirit right. as if uh, it was a divine gift. Right. And it's an emphasis on the spiritual sort of platonic uh, idea here in yeah, some yeah. way. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, where you get Kant's genius coming into play. Yeah. Which is under the same principle. Right. That it's this sort of spirit which just comes down to the man. Mm. And he doesn't know where it comes from. And quite frankly, he doesn't even know what he's doing. It just yeah, takes it, him over. Yeah, yeah. He says that uh, you only are creating art when you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And I've, I've heard people talk about, uh, when they talk about Kant and say, well, he didn't uh, talk about fine art. He just talked about how we perceive art and have all these kinds of... When it's very specific, they say, oh, no, he actually meant something <laughs> else. You cannot just place him in a category. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, uh, you know, it's typically when it's, it's very clear what he says. Mm -hmm. And I heard one say that, that, well, yeah, exactly. He was using the old term art. Mm. So he wasn't talking about fine art. And it's like, oh, my God. Well... That only makes it worse. Yeah, yeah. If he's then, then he's the just using more things. That, that, that basically just means the ability to a knowledge of doing something. And it yeah. says, you only know what you're doing when you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You should have no foundation yeah, yeah. or experience. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, you, with the uh, fine art term, all, sort of the, all the terms or disciplines that they, that they touch just deteriorates. Yeah. I mean, you just look at look at ceramics today. Mm -hmm. It's a joke. Yeah, but they were blessed with the name art, and it just fell down. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but okay. So, 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 tell us a bit, a bit more about about um, like the categorization of the arts and 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 these things, just to get the the, the contemporary situation of the eighteen seventeen hundreds. Uh, how, how do you mean the like, the like I mean these different uh, the, the arts mm -hmm. that were uh, put under the fine art term mm -hmm. they were just scattered all over 
before that, right? And uh, I, I think... Yeah, in, in a way. Yeah, and I think you had, well, you had the term Beaux-Arts already in the 17th century, mm. but it included also eloquence and stuff like that, what a gentleman, I mean, a nob nobleman should be able to, to participate in, right? Yeah. But it had nothing to do with all of that thing. But, but then I think in the 17th century, this platonic idea comes in, mm. you know, and then it, it inspires, I guess, Kant for one, yeah. when it comes to the whole idea of genius. Yeah, and it's uh, late in the 18th century mm. when Kant comes out with his uh, critique of judgment. Right. And he talks about what the genius is. Yeah. And so that applies to all of these, uh, the fine arts. Right. Or perhaps even uh, the arts. Yeah, yeah, but th yeah, that's the problem. I mean, if you, you if you take that way of thinking or, and use it on car mechanics, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the amount of... Accidents oh, yeah, would yeah. just skyrocket. Yeah, exactly. I mean, imagine if you had yeah. your surgeon yeah, yeah. practicing uh, Kantian philosophy in their craft. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they shouldn't have any knowledge. Right, it's right. just uh, that they're endowed with the spirit. Right, right, right. I, I will stick to the uh, Aristotelian empirically learned uh, right. surgeon. Right. I mean, obviously. It's, it's like <laughs> but in any case, yeah. uh, the result yeah. of this classification yeah. is what uh, I think is the most intriguing. Yeah. And so that's when you start to get uh, the Impressionists early on, already parroting the ideas of these early German philosophers like yeah. Kant and Hegel. Yeah. And they're not necessarily practicing it to its fullest extent, but they're already laying the foundations of the philosophy, which came to be known uh, today as modern art. And that's the Trojan horse. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you exactly. You have painters, <clears throat> I mean, even even uh, really academically trained painters, like mm -hmm. from the 1850s on, and I'm sure earlier, um, you've, I mean, one thing is an example I tend to use, which I think is really clear. You have um, uh, Courbet, mm. you know, realist. And he is asked apparently why he, or, or he just states it, I guess, that he has never painted angels because he's never seen one. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, and that's sort of very rational, yeah. very sort of empirical, but in the completely wrong manner, right? Yeah, exactly. And then you get naturalism, daylight comes in, no drama, just mm -hmm. depiction, and all these things. And 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 also the funny thing about signature. Yeah. Have you noticed that on academic uh, paintings? How is that? That they I start mean, to sign. The paintings big, yeah, or? but not just sign. I mean, it's like yeah, big block yeah. letters. Yeah. I mean, like of course, obviously, these these works are quite large. Yeah. But then you have like signatures. This, I mean, the letters mm. would be this high. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's the fundamental yeah. practice of making the painter more important than the painting. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that that's the thing that Salah mentioned then. Yeah. I'm, and when I'm looking at a work, I'm looking for the man who made it, not. Yeah. Anything else. Yeah, exactly. Right and you find the same thing in Greenberg. Tell me. Greenberg says that uh, the personality yeah. is more important and what is more interesting yeah. than the actual painting. Right. And so he had critiqued this painter saying, well, perhaps if you had a bigger persona, then yeah. your paintings might be more interesting. But as they stand now, yeah. uh, they're not for me. Right. And then you have this thing about, I feel there's not enough of you in there. And then you can just dismiss things because... Because you don't like the personality. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that also, I mean, that's the, the Trojan horse thing. Um, when the concept of art rejects 
craft, rejects talent, rejects sensuality, rejects mm -hmm. drama and sentimentality in these things. And if someone is able to create images with all of those components, mm -hmm. then they can say, oh, this is just some outer tools that you've learned. It's not you. Yeah. Right. So that if you can really go into the pillars mm. of a tradition and you start saying doubting those starts uh, you know taking away those mm -hmm. then the person doesn't have a defense yeah exactly and i think it must be something like that that happened to monk yeah yeah i definitely think so because he, he wasn't very engaged in philosophy yeah that's uh, so strange i mean he, he wasn't very aware about why he was doing the things he was doing yeah you you have short excerpts where he says uh, basically what his goal is mm. like around the time of the sick child you know he he made this uh, very strong statement i don't remember exactly what it was but he says that he wants to paint life yeah and that's the goal and he wants the paintings to be alive to breathe to love to suffer right. okay. and then then you get this thing where he talks about they don't understand that the sky can be experienced yeah. as green. Yeah. Yeah. That's so <laughs> It's so funny because it's like in one of the uh, in one of the Hitler's speeches on cultural politics, he makes fun of exactly that it talks it, it references references the word experience as they say you know <laughs> so i mean he, he, he at least he got that <laughs> correct I mean, the, the 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 subjective idea is the is the important thing yeah but how does how do you reconcile or not you specifically but how does one reconcile this idea this originality Kantian thing with the other component from hegel the zeitgeist yeah, the spirit of the time. Yeah. Like uh, how do you, how, how can you reconcile those two? I mean, the, they, they go hand in hand. In what way? Well, uh, I mean, first of all, Hegel was a follower of Kant. But secondly, you have uh, this idea of the spirit, which, which is also something that Hegel talks about. But he, he also refers to the spirit of the time. Mm -hmm. And that was something which was foundational for, for laying out this idea of art history yeah. and linear progression. Yeah. So it's it's the spiritual aspect and not the, the empirical handcraft yeah. aspect, which is just the thing in common. Yeah, exactly. And what do you think is the most important component from Kant and from, I mean, Hegel, obviously the zeitgeist, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, but definitely. From Kant? Um, I would say the genius. Is it? Yeah. Because, yeah, and because I've been thinking about it, I mean, I, I read one artist once who said, wrote that, well, originality is not the thing anymore. Mm. I think that's pretty, that's pretty clear. It's pretty, uh, that made an impression. Yeah. Because it's like, how conscious are these people? And I was thinking about it a little bit, a little bit. of course, it's not, it's basically not the originality thing from Kant, which is, which is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. It is the aesthetical indifference. Okay, yeah. That's a good the point. The non-sensual thing. Mm. And that, that is part of the genius, so it's not... Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, together with the zeitgeist, mm. then you have a perfect match. Yeah. Because you have to be indifferent to follow the zeitgeist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then it's it's fine. 
And uh, what, yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say uh, what what that leads to is the destruction of the culture. Yeah. As you can see today. Yeah. And that uh, I I do think that was the intention. So this is we'll get to really talking about kitsch as such uh, in in a little while but mm. i mean this is the thing where where um where you would really need consciousness of what values were expelled from art right but then mm -hmm. you have to understand what art is yeah, first yeah. yeah right and i think uh, when you don't do that you get into uh, you get you get into this idea of uh, I just labeled it artification. Mm. You have a lot of figurative painters who are doing that. Like I mean, I guess you've seen what I've seen too with what happens with people that shall be more arty and they're still figurative. Oh yeah. Like what? Like what I are mean, typical examples of artification? A very common one is that they paint a good face. Yeah. Or a good portrait. And then they will destroy it in some way. Yeah. Either to put a, a dot or a line or to make it so it's no longer uh, so sentimental, so serious. Right. So you don't actually get the contact with the human figure anymore. Right. Instead, it's just uh, an ironic parody. Yeah. Right. And there are, I mean, there's so, it's quite a few versions of it, actually. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, one thing is to to uh, use irony obviously mm -hmm. make camp mm -hmm. and you have different aspects of the whole thing where you for example paint the motif in different on different canvases or uh, use way too strong colors um, or you intentionally make wrong proportions so or uh, whatever yeah, right? yeah. and it's, it's all just about uh, destroying the craft yeah. that's, that's the means of artifying yeah and destroying the 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 the, the um, vividness of the of the object, the the figure, the the face. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's funny because it's it reminds me also what what um, I've been reading uh, about uh, about uh, anachronism in Islam. Mm -hmm. And w one thing that really struck me, they were talking about if the prophet is shown or one of the prophets is shown or or uh, people. They will have a line over the throat okay. to visually separate the, the spirit and the body yeah. and say that this is something that cannot live in reality. Mm. And it's a perfect <laughs> illustration of what art yeah. is. Yeah, it's right? just the same. Yeah, yeah. The point is that uh, it's not a real person. Yeah, yeah. But there's, there's, there's another aspect too, because people can get confused with, with the fact that, that there's a lot of figurative art mm. going on. So why can, for example, a guy like uh, Lucien Freud be popular? Or other examples you could think of, like Stanley Spencer or whatever. Yeah, uh, well, if we take uh, Freud as a case study, then I, I think the point is that even though he's showing a human figure, mm -hmm. he's doing it in a way which is to make it ugly mm. or ironic. Mm. And so that's, that's why he's acceptable. Yeah, and, and, but first and foremost, indifferent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not, he's not in love with it or 
He no, doesn't no. try to make it any better than it is. Doesn't sentimentalize it. Uh, mm -hmm. sentiment, uh, sentimentalize it. Doesn't dramatize it. There's no narrative. There's just passively lying there, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when I was uh, a student of Odd Nedrum, and he was working on two tongues. You know, the woman's yes. beaten up on the pole there, and then the other one is, is her tongue is out, and the other one is pointing her tongue to mm. her to mock her, but from you know for a different reason. <laughs> And uh, and uh, I was thinking about that compared to, for example, the works of Freud. Mm. I mean, the, this woman in Nerdon's painting is obviously in a much worse situation. Yeah. But she has a lust for life. Yeah. And even though they're more brutalized in, in some ways, you know, the fact that she's had actual physical damage done to her. Yeah. It doesn't uh, take away from her dignity. Yeah. No. And that's what Freud does. He doesn't want the figure to be dignified. Yeah. It's kind of a sort of a democratic way of thinking, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everything yeah. Is, is fair. The lighting is fair. Yeah, exactly. You know? and, th and that's a catastrophe. Yeah. So I think what you're doing with these dogmas is an important thing. And what, what's going on with, with the, you know, the new understanding of kitsch as such is that, I mean, you can agree or disagree, mm. but at least it highlights the options that you have yeah and I think a fundamental thing is to to I mean if you disagree with kitsch I don't want to call myself kitsch for some reason mm. a good or bad reason uh, at least people have to come to the understanding that art fine art is an invention of the 18th century yeah that broke radically with the old masters yeah I mean, if we can get that far, then a lot has been established and, and been, been reached. Yeah, and, and that's the goal of the campaign, Yeah, the Kish campaign. Mm. And we're, uh, I mean, one, one point when you bring up the old masters mm. is that the art world has tried to take them in. You know, they've yeah. claimed them as their own. Yeah. Even though they are not artists. And they were not practicing under the same value system. Mm. They were working in a completely opposing value system. Yeah, because I think that is so fundamental. Because it's these things easily come into sort of, you know, oh, you're being polemic and making funny points about Rembrandt yeah. was not an artist. Ha, ha, yeah. ha, come on. But if you just look at it empirically and, mm. and rationally, the values he was working according to, craft, sensuality, timeless images, sentimentality you see that that is clearly different from the values that became the core principles of fine art yeah so i mean it's like well if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck then perhaps it's it a is duck. a duck yeah or if yeah. it doesn't walk like a duck it's you know and talks like a duck then it's obviously something else right? yeah so i mean i mean i think that is it would be a fundamental thing to be able to reach mm -hmm. and uh, you also have the point that if people work in the same way today, yeah. then they're not going to be accepted in the way that Rembrandt or Titian are in the museums. Yeah. Instead, they're going to be ousted yeah. and completely uh, denigrated. Yeah. And the, the, the whole point in uh, doing that, they claim, these uh, early Kish critics, is that it's because of ethics, not aesthetics. Right. And so they, they actually don't have a problem with the way that the picture is painted. Right. What they have a problem with is the ethics of people who dare to do the same thing today. 
Yeah. And it's the, yeah, because it's seen as unethical to promote sentimentality in some way. Yeah. I mean, th this is something that really struck me. This was in the 70... Eight, nine. I, I, f I forget when the murder of Anders Bauer was painted, but it's late 70s. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of discussions around it. And in the newspaper interview, I guess it was, Nerdum says that it's not the old master form, mm -hmm. but it's the, uh, what phrase did you use, the sincerity or the, the sentimentality. He didn't say sentimentality, but that was the point of yeah. it. That's what they reacted to. Yeah. So you could basically, you can be a figurative painter and you can say, well, what's the problem? Mm. I'm accepted, mm. I can sell, I'm in galleries, I'm in you know, whatever. And there's no problem for me. Mm -hmm. But then you have the mentality the, or the culture that is, the sense of life, right? Yeah. Which is, which is represented in paintings. And that's, that's the big problem when people still try to go under that term mm. of being a figurative artist. Yeah. Is that then either they have to compromise and they have to add some sort of element of irony mm. or parody in their work in order to be accepted. Yeah. Or else, if they actually paint a, a completely dignified work, then it's adding a different element mm. from what would be accepted. Mm. So they will become an outcast. Mm. And that involves having these timeless motifs, actual storytelling, mm. to really have a, a painting which is gripping. Mm. Yeah. So, so short before we want to look at some, some <laughs> when it comes to kitsch, you know, uh, and they're writing about kitsch, some of these critics get so angry that when they punch, mm. they knock out the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, but but uh, before we, I wanted to get to sort of a bullet po point list on that. Uh, what is your advice? Like, how do you tackle the situation where you know you'll be an outcast if you paint these motifs? And it's difficult to sell. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, a lot of people have jobs and all of these things, and it's, you know, basically what you sort of have to adjust to, I guess. But, like, mentally or philosophically, what's, what's your advice? How do you stick to it? I mean, first and foremost is to be aware of the philosophy. Yeah to actually know what you're doing and what your goal is. Yeah. And then uh, after that, following that, it's, it's just about the will. Yeah. I, I really believe that. Yeah. If, if you have the will to make masterpieces and you follow that and you stick to it and you don't compromise with galleries or collectors or what have you, mm. and you stick very, very strong to your values, yeah. then you'll have success. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's another clear point to make is uh, these dogmas, which the Memorosa group has, the goal of those is to make a masterpiece. Mm. So it's not about being accepted into galleries or uh, something like that. <laughs> but, but if you make a masterpiece, I can assure you uh, yeah. that they will come along and they will accept you. Yeah, and I think at the same time that if you, I mean, if you, there's a lot of, I mean, you have Greenberg, like you have here, mm. there's Thomas Kolka, yeah. Kitchen Arch. You have uh, one essay here uh, on Kitsch in, uh, by Kalinescu, Five Faces of Modernity. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they have the, the Greenberg thing and you have Brock in English. And of course, there's a lot of German things. So I think yeah. to really get into it, because it is, as I say, if you agree with it or not, it is a tool to understand what was attacked and what was shoved out 
of art mm-hmm. and why you know what they say about it because if you read those things you will immediately recognize what you know any figure to painter or statue will meet as, uh, encounter as criticism yeah um, so getting to what they are writing here mm-hmm. uh, one thing that that really struck me as, as you know fitting to art it's really really ironic um, one thing that they attack is kitsch the typical thing of kitsch is bad anatomy yes <laughs> like <laughs> I, I don't have to no, lower no, yourself no to the point where needed. you need to explain no, it no uh, so, okay so, so if that is bad anatomy what do you say about matisse yeah right yeah okay so like that's out the window or you want to spend five minutes explaining more about it. No, it doesn't need to be explained, <laughs> but I, I will throw one more case study. Yeah. And that is uh, Lipschitz. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his name exactly, but yeah. uh, he was making these sort of strange, apparently inspired sculptures uh, by Rodin. Uh-huh, sculptures okay. inspired by Rodin. Right. But what he was doing is to just completely destroy the anatomy. Right, right. To, to the extent where yeah. you almost can't even recognize a figure anymore. Right, right. And Greenberg yeah. is simultaneously praising this. Yeah. And he says about Kish that one of the characteristics yeah. is bad anatomy. Yeah, yeah right. And <laughs> just, just look at any art today. Everyone yeah. knows. Yeah, and then there's the other aspect, which is sort of a kin, uh, sort of similar term. It is the idea of the stereotype. Yeah stereotypically rendering mm-hmm. like stiff faces or whatever mm-hmm. and yeah i don't know do you want to do that one uh, <laughs> this this one i also see as uh, so it's it's, it's quite uh, self-explanatory yeah, yeah but uh but for for me yeah yeah, yeah for yeah. example explain to me what's going on why i mean when they talk about stereotypes they're also talking about these characters for example if you have uh, the hero archetype, mm. then what, what they're criticizing is the fact that it's an archetype. Yeah, yeah. And they're saying that it's made into a stereotype, that it's just, uh, you know, it's the same thing over and over and... Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but also, that, that, I mean, that's one thing. Mm. Uh, but, but then they're, they're taking the ball and not the man, as they say. That it's, it's, they're lo- not looking at the execution, yeah. but just on the reference or the, the, the idea mm-hmm. of it, right? Mm-hmm. They don't understand that, oh, you can actually ex- execute it in a better way. Yeah. And then it becomes, you know, good quality. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I was thinking yeah. of, like, when you see, I don't, well, actually, it's here. Mm, no, it's not. Damn. Uh, but there's, there's, um, there's not too many illustrations in Kolka. What, what are you looking for? Uh, there's one, it's in the Jill Adolfo's uh, book, where you have the, the the woman playing the violin, and mm. she looks like she doesn't have a skeleton. I mean, okay. it's my personal opinion that women should look as if they don't have skeletons, but that's a different matter. <laughs> but I mean, as a painting, it's it's flawed. Yeah, it's not this one, but this is also mentioned, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when you th- when you say that you you think of well, again, what about Matisse? What yeah. about Modigliani? Yeah, yeah. If yeah. stereotypes, you know, non individualistic figures if that's kitsch mm-hmm. what what goes on with you know what's going on with and modernism yeah when you, when you have these uh 
stereotypes, uh, as they call it, then, then you must also examine art. And that's something uh, Coker talks about, is if you're going to accuse Kish of something, mm. apply the same standards to art. Right, right, right. right. So if you, if you say that they have bad anatomy, okay, let's look at art. And if you want to talk about stereotypes, I, I mean, one of the biggest praises in art yeah. is that you should have a personally consistent style. Yeah. That it should be and so it obvious. And it should be typical of yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you, if you look at art, there's so many repetitions right, right, of right. the same sort of thing. Yeah, and, and speaking of, this brings us readily, thank you, to the next point. Kitsch is, are you ready for it? Mass produced. Yes, yes. <laughs> they love that one. Well, it could be. I, I, I tend to disagree. Yeah. I mean, uh, all of these standards, which they are claiming Kish represents, mm. is mostly about low Kish. Well, and typical art. Yeah, 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 and typical art, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's much more obvious that art is mass produced. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a basic, that's, I don't remember where I read it or if I was thinking about myself. But in any case, I think it's a fair uh, thing to say that when, I mean, a big part of the success of modernism mm. is that you could produce on a larger scale. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how long did it take one to paint a sick child compared oh, to, yeah. you know, well. He, he must, he's, I think he spent you're, you're at least actually, a year on that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how many paintings can you, how many modernist paintings can you paint in the same period? So, I mean, mass exactly. production is, okay, perhaps not. I mean, in, but in, in that term, uh, or, or if you want to make the comparison with Monk, yeah. then you look at, uh, at later in his life, and he was, he was making uh, some thousands of works yeah, yeah, yeah. within a, about the same period, yeah. if you include uh, woodcuts and prints. Right, right, right. So, uh, especially... I think I'll just take that on the last because it's one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> there's the there's the thing. I'll, I'll try to shut up because I, I want to hear what what you think about the, the accusation of kitsch. Typical p kitsch pictures. They mm. are too much, too sentimental. Yeah. No. Uh, again, that's something which perhaps could be accused of low kitsch. Yeah. But. Uh, to, to compare to art, I would often consider that too much. Mm. But what, what you have in uh, Kish is dramaticism. And that's, that's what they have the problem with. Yeah, but, but if you stick to what the conventional Kitsch criticism yeah, talks yeah. about, you're not talking about, they wouldn't say, write a whole book about Carrier uh, uh, or something like that. Mm -hmm. they, they use sort of quote-unquote typical you know, Kitsch pictures that you buy in a, in a frame shop or whatever. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Okay, okay. And, yeah. and, and they say that this is too much, too sweet, too, you know, whatever. Yeah, it, I mean, it's all about uh, sentimentality yeah. and sincerity. Mm. That's, that's what they have the conflict with. Yeah, and I think the problem then with such, you know, quote-unquote typical kitsch image, images is that they're not sentimental enough, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the problem. Yeah. And that's the stereotype. That's also part of the stereotype term mm. that... that because it, the psychology and the rendering is not believable, mm -hmm. then it becomes a stereotype. Yeah. It just becomes sort of this, what do you call it, like exhibition dolls, like you have in the windows of the shops. You, you understand the difference between a doll like that and a human being. Yeah. yeah Most yeah. generally, you do. And that's kind of the difference between art and kitsch. Mm. Right. 
<laughs> but there's there's one thing in um, in Kolkow's book, and I <clears throat> highly recommend reading these books because you really have to think through things and judge what is correct or not. Um, and that is the idea of kitsch as a transparent symbol, as it says. Yeah. You remember that? Have you read about that? I do remember that. Yeah. And that's what something... Is, what uh, does it say about that? First... Well, well, his point is that, uh, you know, you don't really have to put any effort into it. Right. To understand the symbol. Whereas in art, you're going to have to really think about it and you have to... Uh, take your time to scrutinize the art, mm. and then you will understand the truth. Was that a reference to scrutin? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah, we'll deal with him later. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry. But anyways, uh, the fact that it's transparent is that he's saying that you don't actually get anything out of it. Yeah. And what he's talking about is archetypes. And that's the conventional criticism, mm. is that because these are such... Uh, prominent uh, conflicts in people's lives mm. that they're just transparent symbols mm. yeah and then the, you're sort of branching off into uh, what is actually a correct signifier of kitsch yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. also uh, the thing I was thinking about was I think he qualifies it by saying saying that you, you the, la the label on the picture and the picture are interchangeable yeah. You can just have yeah, a text yeah. crying child and then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. you can just imagine it in your yeah. head. And and I was just thinking, well, he, he's describing conceptual art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because the concept is the important thing, not the work. Exactly. So he, it should be just praise. Yeah. For that. And, and but that's uh, yeah, to uh, make the point. Then it's again it's about the level. How, how well is it painted? Is it rendered? And I don't yeah. talk about that because according to Kant, you don't need to be able to paint to judge a painting. So mm -hmm. they don't know what painting is. Exactly. Right. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he even takes it as far. And I think this is in the uh, Kish More Than Art book as mm -hmm. well, the uh, short little excerpt. But he takes it as far as to say that you can even change the colors to whatever yeah, yeah, you yeah. want. Right. So that, what, that what, you, what about Andrew Warhol's prints? Then? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's uh, something which I would like to emphasize is that yeah. when it's done so poorly yeah. that you no longer recognize it as a normal person, mm. then it's gone way too far. Yeah. And oh my God, yeah, you um, you're, are really tempting me, now, tempting me now to go into this thing about Kolkast is example with the cat we'll, we'll get to the kitsch cat um, but I think before I mean the, the, there's a couple of things I want wanted to sort of lump into the uh, well art segment here incorrect signifiers of kitsch uh, uh, segment um, this thing about can you say something about uh, camp because that is has become uh, mm. you know la later decades they said this is typical kitsch yeah yeah, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, camp is when you just take some sort of object and you uh, display it as art, but it's done in an ironic manner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's the whole point. It's the, it's the irony. Like, like, who are those uh, they made America's Most Wanted? 
and it's a painting with all the things that are sort of, of typical thing of typical kitsch mm-hmm. and I put it in one image yeah and of course it, that becomes just ridiculous yeah and that's the camp or like I used an example once you have uh, I guess in America it's the 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 well in Norway it's the, the elk by the lake but in America mm-hmm. it's the deer or whatever mm-hmm. point is you paint in a no swimming sign yeah and then then that's the joke right yeah yeah so you destroy the whole sentimental uh, uh, yes it's atmosphere. A, to just make the whole thing into a joke yeah yeah right right, right. that's kind of rococo actually as far as i understood that period but anyways um uh, before we get to to the what are really correct signifiers of kitsch this thing about modern painting i mean i i it's just struck me once mm. that basically since impressionism yeah, maybe since realism, but at least since Impressionism, there's only been Depressionism. Mm. I think that should be a term to be used as often as possible. Yes. Depressionist works. That's Lucian Freud, for example, is like like mm-hmm. an icon for that that way of, of thinking. And that's a typical artification trick too, right? Right. Uh, and, and that's, uh, I mean, Kish is often criticized when it's a tragic work, especially, yeah, for being depressing, just because it's a sad story, or because it has a tragic ending. Well, if you're used to aesthetical indifference, then that becomes depressing. Exactly, enough. exactly. Um, and so that's uh, you know another ironic example mm. when you have uh, these modern buildings, or uh, for example, Freud. Mm. That's much more depressing. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, like like with Freud. The persons are lying there, depressed or indifferent. Mm-hmm. It's like why? Yeah, and there's no purpose. I mean, it, That's the thing. No, no. I mean, it's like I mean, my one of my brain damages is the love for Moby Dick. Yeah, and I've seen that that the documentary, uh, the true story of behind Moby Dick or of Moby Dick about the Essex that was ran by a white by a sperm whale, and if you have you know surviving three months out on sea in a little boat. Mm. If a person lies indifferent in that boat after two months, I can understand it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then it is, has something to do with the story, right? With drama, with yeah. you know, extreme situations. But if you're lying in your, on your bed in your room in a big city, mm-hmm. okay, that's not so interesting, is it? Not at all. Simply depressing. You were not born when Ard Nordrum gave his speech in 1998. Not quite. You were existing, but you were not born. Yes. Yeah. And I have to say, at that time, I was spending my time much more constructive than you were. I was, uh, <laughs> I was, assist- I I was assisting him in, in, the, in the hanging of the, ex- or like, like yes. there was a lot of people there, obviously, but I was part of it. And it was so great because they had like a stack of reviews mm-hmm. from the 60s onwards. Of course, I took it down, Xeroxed them, and got all the material. This was before, you know, internet. No, uh, well, before I came to the internet, mm-hmm. in any case. And um, first of all, I wanted to test you. What does Ard Nordum say in his inaugural speech of his retrospective exhibition at the Astrophilia Museum of Modern Art? The essence is that he... Uh he says that he's been uh, flying under a false flag. Yeah. And that was the term of art. Yeah. 
So he wants to really clarify. And apologize. <laughs> yeah, and apologize. <laughs> and like apologize. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Yes. He, he is humble in that way. Yeah. And uh, he apologizes because he's been calling himself an artist. Yeah. Which is actually not correct at all, according to what his work has been. Yeah. And his goal yeah. in making his work. Mm. And so he clarifies by describing uh, or, or proclaiming himself as Kish, a Kish painter, and his work as Kish. Mm. And he describes uh, what Kish is, you know, that is sentimental, mm. and uh, all of these uh, signifiers. Mm. And what? Like, and I think the, the great thing about that speech is that it's so kitschy. Yeah. He has that story about standing in front of the sunset there mm. with his father and yeah, his yeah. stepfather, I guess. Yeah, and that's that's an example where uh, he has been tempted in his life as well to abandon his skill. Yeah. And his his oh stepfather God, told that's him. That's Jesus and the devil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> On each other. Okay, seriously. So what, what does the father say? Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's a good introduction to the whole... Uh, what is actually the correct correct signifiers of kitchen? Yeah, so so they're standing together, uh, I think, at the top of a slope because they're out skiing. Mm. And so his stepfather tells him uh, around sunset time, he says, okay, this this is beautiful. Enjoy this. It's, it's fine. <laughs> but don't ever paint it <laughs> because you will not be accepted in the art world. And that was, uh, I think that was a big point for him. Yeah. Because that's where it makes it very clear. Yeah, yeah, the values and the path that he's headed down. Yeah, I mean, we, you could always go down to the level that we are now, where we explain different aspects and stuff yeah. like that. But like that one image, yeah, that may, really makes it clear which are you on the path of truth or the path, <laughs> path of kitsch. Um, and it's you know the the funny thing is that it's it's the reactions, the immediate mm. reactions. Mm -hmm. Now I was unfortunately unfortunate enough. I was able to read Norwegian, so I could, <laughs> I could read those reactions. And uh, one of the funniest things is a guy who ridicules this uh, self-declaration as kitsch. Um, that's another thing. Kant says that the, the theoretician comes in and yeah. decides. Yeah. And the genius doesn't know what he's doing, so he just shuts yeah, exactly. up. Yeah. And then suddenly, Odnerum takes that role mm. back, mm -hmm. and they are infuriated. Infuriating. Yeah. And and this one guy ridicules that, you know, speech. And afterwards he talks about the I don't remember the, the exact words, but there was he was ridiculing the sort of the pathos and the, the beauty and all these kitsch synonyms mm. of uh, uh, of the speech. Yeah. Describing it as kitsch. Yeah. And Adnardon's works as as uh, as kitsch. Um, so okay, so if we get to get to conventional kitsch criticism, as I like to call it. Um, you mentioned this thing about, I guess it's a sprock, about ethics. Yes. So, is kitsch criticism a part of aesthetics, or <laughs> is it a part of ethics, well, in your evaluation, in your subjective opinion? <laughs> well, uh, Brock, uh, among others, he, he makes it very clear. It's not about aesthetics. Mm. And that's uh, like the Rembrandt example that we talked about. It's why they don't call Rembrandt Kish mm. and why he's not put into the same category as people painting the same way today. Mm. It's completely ethical. Mm. I mean, uh, Brock goes as far as to say that the Kish maker 
should not be judged by aesthetic standards. Yeah. He is simply morally reprehensible. He's seeking radical evil. He's a pig. That is fascinating because one of the first reviews of Old Nardrum, and I'm paraphrasing again, it says, um, talks, talks about how Old Nardrum cannot be judged according to the common standards of today. Mm. In short, he is a phenomenon, which yeah. is sort of the Norwegian way of saying this is weird <laughs> <laughs> and unacceptable, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So you have that, and that's, that's sort of the famous definition of uh, from Brock there yeah. about the, the, the radical evil mm -hmm. and the evil in the valley system of Lodge's Kitch. And it, but it's fascinating. Speaking of what we were talking about with Monk mm -hmm. and the Trojan horse, getting mm -hmm. people to doubt the principles first, but they still paint. Mm -hmm. And then the principle, the, the, the foundation just withers yeah. and then the whole thing go, comes down, right? Yeah. Uh, the problem with, I mean, or the, it's not a problem for Rembrandt to paint like he did because that's what you were supposed to do at the time. Yeah, exactly. Supposedly. And according to Hegel, he's forget doing it in the spirit was, of the time. Forget that it was much more sentimental than any of the other painters at that time. So you can say it was typical of the time at all. Mm -hmm. But I mean... Um, and, and I think that's one thing that Kolka says too. When it comes to, uh, to um, and then then we then we get into you know, the actual specifics of Kitsch criticism about being timeless. Yeah. So because that is one specific aspect that is a correct s description of Kitsch. Yes. That it tries to or succeeds, but in a point, in a way, that's the value to mm -hmm. be timeless mm -hmm. and on the most sort of technical uh, simple level mm -hmm. it's about the technique right? yeah so he talks about that he doesn't really want to say that this is kitsch because it was typical of the time yeah but if you do it today it's kitsch definitely and that's the strange thing if you take away the signature if a kitsch critic doesn't know who painted this and you say, and you write 2017 or 2025 or whatever, mm -hmm. then suddenly it's bad. Yeah. The same product. Yeah. And that just goes to show what you're saying, that it's it's the ethics, it's not a judgment of yeah. quality, which aesthetics, no. I guess, should, is supposed to be. I, I mean, in uh, the art world, or, or the art value system, rather, mm. they're not concerned with the object. Mm. It's not about the painting at all. Yeah. I mean, you see that when they praise works and yeah. also when they yeah. uh, completely, yeah. well, when they call works evil. And that, it's like the, then you're going to the core of what is praised in art and he talks about kitsch as a transparent symbol. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't get away from that. Darn it. Yeah, okay. So uh, uh, they're not concerned with how it's made. But the timeless uh, thing, one thing is to treat the technique as such as timeless. Mm -hmm. But then there are the motifs. Yeah. And I guess this is one of the most basic things of what really signifies kitsch. If it's bad or good, if you like it or not, mm -hmm. that is the basic premise, right? Yeah. And the motifs should be timeless as well. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's about archetypes. Yeah. So you have, uh, I, I don't know, motifs like love, life, yeah. death. Uh, and these are things which everyone can understand. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's uh, when, when, you, when you see it, you'll have a visceral experience. Yeah. Because it's, uh, as Jung would call it, 
it's part of the collective unconscious. Yeah. It's something which is part of your genetics in a way. Yeah. It goes so deep into your uh, being that you don't even have to have experienced these things to understand what's going on. Yeah. So the thing about archetypes is really interesting. I mean, Kolka says this was just amazing that it talks about the motifs of kitsch can perhaps be further analyzed in terms of Jungian archetypes. Yes. And he mentions exactly the, these things, love, death, family. I don't know if he mentions the sunrise, but <laughs> like, it ought to be there. Yeah, yeah, it ought to, ought to be there. And there's another thing too also that, that's, that, um, that really uh, builds under the whole premise of kitsch being uh, not of the times. And this is also really clear. It says here on page 110, um, another difference is that Kitsch does not inhabit any art historical space, that it is oblivious to what goes on in the art world. Kitsch ignores its competitors. It lives outside the context of art. Oh, yes. <laughs> and you find that in many of these Kitsch critics as well. Yeah, yeah. They say Kitsch yeah. is in another category yeah. from art. Yeah. Not, uh, how does Brock is phrase it? It's not bad art, it's, it's uh, well, not art. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. in a completely different yeah, category. Yeah. It's non-art. Right, right, right. Right. And uh, then you have the, I guess that, I guess that uh, comes under timelessness too, this idea of kitsch being a lie. Mm, yeah. So what are the implications of that accusation? Like what, what is said when they do when they say that? I, I mean, this is uh, it comes in the transparent symbol as well. Uh -huh. and, and basically, uh, when they talk about that, it's a lie. Yeah. They're saying that this is just a vicarious experience. Right. That's Be that's Greenberg. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just a fictional story. Nothing is real here. Right. And so therefore, the emotions yeah. which it invokes yeah. are also not real. Right. And this, this is completely untrue. Just because it's a fictional story yeah. doesn't mean that your uh, sentiment or your emotions, which are invoked by the story, aren't real. You know, that reminds me of something. And speak, uh, <clears throat> I want to read a quote by, by Greenberg because it's so fundamental. But there's one book which is, uh, if you're really into kitsch, it's something to read. Ludwig Gies, The Phenomenology of Kitsch. And it's about as dry as it sounds, right? Mm. But his point is that kitsch is not something that comes with uh, the industrial age, mass production, these yeah. things that is generally yeah. said. It's not, fr as of the, the romantic period, Brock says that, the, that the kitsch is a child of, is a child of uh, rom romanticism. Yeah. He says that this is a flaw, a basic flaw in the human nature mm. that you find throughout the ages. Exactly. And the one of the examples he uses is St. Augustine, who, uh, who uh, is so saddened by the fact that he had attended uh, the, the, the staging of a, of a Greek tra tragedy, and he had been so gripped by it, and he had forgotten God. Yeah, right. And he and then this ethical things comes in that he could sit there and re relish and, and sort of feel joy somehow seeing people suffer. Mm. And that's that's the you know 
that's a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, and they and they have an ethical problem with that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it serves its purpose. Yeah. It's it's not as if you're going into this tragedy and okay, you, you expect that it's going to be a tragedy, so you're not going into the unknown completely. But the point of actually going there is that you're going to have those emotions. Right. And then you can reach a catharsis if it's good enough. Right. And so if you have suppressed emotions related to the play, or the emotions invoked by the play rather, right. then it's going to release those. Oh my God, yeah. And so you can go about your life uh, with a certain relief or a relaxation for right. a while. Right. That's, um, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if it's exactly what you're describing because that, that gives me goosebumps. That's really a, a, a perfect explanation. Um, but this, there's another story, and I know Teresa Sherwell, we're hoping to have her on the show at some point. And uh, she was guiding the tours on the uh, on Old Nerdrum's um, um, exhibition in '98. Yeah. And she told me she had a group of people that came in front of a woman killing the uh, woman woman killing the engine man. Yeah. And he, one of the people in the group was a big guy, quite large, you know, quite large. Mm-hmm. And he saw that painting and he sat down. And he just put his head in oh, his yes. hand and just shook his head. Yes. It was obviously an immediate identification. I don't know if, how long ago his divorce was or whatever happened, but yeah. <laughs> he understood what was going on there. Exactly. That, yeah. That's the visceral experience of yeah, Tish. Yeah, right. And uh, that, that reminds me. You know, I, I saw something similar at the exhibition in Bergen. Oh, yeah. What was that? Yeah, so... I was really looking at this uh, Madonna painting for yeah. Monk, and that's uh, very close by. You have these paintings, Jealousy, and you also have the painting Vampire. Right. Right, 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 right. And so I, I noticed while I was looking at this, there were these two girls walking along, and they were going about uh, the whole thing with a more artistic approach, uh-huh. that they should be distanced. Right. So they're going very carefully. Just looking at the paintings, hmm, okay. Not really saying much, not doing anything. And then this girl comes to the vampire. And I can see her eyes got wide. <laughs> and she, she gasped. She said, Oh, Schempefint. <laughs> means like, so good. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's the perfect example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what we want, yeah, is yeah. to have this visceral experience where you're just gripped. Yeah, you, yeah. you see the image yeah, yeah, yeah. and it hits your heart. Right, right, right. Because that I, I all all the time I come back to to uh, Campbell and he was talking about how <clears throat> you know there's a biological need to sort of have your life retold and replayed through rituals, for example, but also through myths, myths, mm-hmm. right? And that is a psychological necessity. Yeah, it absolutely yeah. is, and that's. Uh, I don't remember this author's name, but he, he gave a study of himself as uh, experiencing this transcendental function. Okay. And so he talked about how he wanted oh, to... Oh, yeah, one of the articles from the Joseph Campbell Foundation. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So he wanted to make a change in his life Yeah. to have more gratitude. Right. And he said, you know, he, he simply wasn't able to do it <laughs> with uh, just simple mantras or... I want to be gratified. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I need to be more gratified. Yeah. Uh, okay. Field gratification, I guess. Is yeah, the, yeah, and yeah. that's what Jung would say is the ego, yeah, just yeah. talking to the ego. Yeah. You're not really breaking through into your yeah, subconscious yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah. You're just approaching it uh, 
with very material right. uh, terms. Yeah. And so... It's like forcing someone to love you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so then uh, he said he was going to do it through paintings. Mm-hmm. And so he looked at this painting of Apollo, who tried to fly too close to the sun. Mm. And that was an example of where he should have been uh, not so foolhardy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he should have been uh, gratified with what he had. Mm. That's, that's the example that he gives. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so he says, uh, by looking at these things, then it's going to have an impact on your subconscious. Right. And you should acknowledge that. Yeah. Acknowledge the impact that it had. Yeah. And that's going to bring your ego and your subconscious closer to each other. Right. The conscious and the subconscious mind. Because it's there. Yeah. I mean, if you don't know it with your body, you don't know it. Yeah, exactly. And, and these are the, the point is to give a very recognizable image, things which you can actually uh, make these connections in the subconscious with mm. to yourself. So it's... Uh, yeah. It's, uh, he, he, calls the, um, he calls paintings like the meeting ground right. for the conscious and the subconscious. Right. And so that's where you can actually embrace uh, a meaningful change. Right. That's where you're able to transmit uh, morals and values. Right. This is also, I mean, I know you're <clears throat> very much into Ayn Rand. Yeah. So let's take a little sort of quick detour yes. at least and stop by her idea of, of what, what the function of, well, she says art. We have to, I guess we have to forgive her for that. But <laughs> she's yeah, yeah. talking about the yes. same thing. Yes. And uh, basically what she says the purpose of art is, uh, or as we call it, kish, yeah. uh, because her terms are very muddied. Yeah, she doesn't have a clear aesthetics, basically, yeah. but I mean, she's really much going in an Aristotelian slash yeah. kitsch direction. She's right? talking about classical paintings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she says the function of this is actually to project uh, ideals. Right. So you're able to project future goals right. through the works. Yeah. And that's what she sees as the most important function. Right. But it's, it's not only that, it's also... Uh, like the totality of morals and values. Yeah, yeah. And she talks about that this gives your sense of life. Yeah. In the work. Yeah, yeah. And so and it, you you can you can get the sense of life, like a new exactly. sense of life. Yeah, yeah. And it, she talks about how important, for example, uh, you know, adventurous literature is for for young, yeah. well, young adults or or old older kids. Yeah. Uh, and giving them something to to I'll emulate. Mm. Right. And that's uh, one, one of the examples she gives is James Bond. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I wouldn't yeah. give as uh, the best example. No, no, but, I mean, but, but the, the point p- is yeah, understanding. exactly. Uh, and so the point is that maybe after somebody goes to see a James Bond movie, yeah. they will see that he has this tireless courage to actually yeah. go after his goals. But she also describes sort of the art attitude, what really is the art attitude, with the child who's... Reading is she. Talk, she mentioned some mentions some science fiction hero or whatever mm-hmm. who flies and does stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And the child is really into that, and then the adult comes in, you know, sort of like a bureaucrat and says, "Well, you, I mean, you can't fly, so you can't be yeah. him." It's like, yeah. No shit. That that's not the point. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not it's, taking it. It's taking it too literally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That okay. Sure, it uh, doesn't yeah. exactly go in the terms of physics, but yeah. That's yeah, but I mean, that, that's kind of the, the, the sort of bureaucratic, aesthetical, indifferent yeah. attitude, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like when you when you animate the things that you're 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 um, painting, mm-hmm. then you can say, well, that that's not how real life is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the point is that you're going to be able to 
recognize those values yeah, yeah. in the work. Yeah. And then you'll have a more clear idea of what you should pursue yeah, yeah. and what changes you should make in your life. Yeah. And so she, yeah, I mean, she talks about this man who, you know, he goes out of the movie theater after seeing James Bond and he's got his shoulders yeah. a little more upright and he's going to go get that raise. Oh, that reminds me. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. And to get there, things have to be, and this is another bullet point, things have to be well made. Now, mm -hmm. what is that all about? you know different critics um, they're talking about like went through the incorrect signifiers yeah that is bad anatomy and flat and all these things mm -hmm. but then on the other side you have critics talking about that kitsch is really well made yeah and that at first is like what mm. are you, you giving kitsch points here <laughs> what's going on <laughs> but like, like okay what can you tell me about that i mean uh, what, what i would say is the point of having it well made, is that you're actually going to kind of take them into another world, so to speak. Yeah. That is going to grip them. Hmm. And so they're going to be very focused on that. Yeah. And then because they are so focused and because they're so gripped, then the values can be transmitted very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you are it's to make tool. some sort of courageous man who's not well depicted, <laughs> or you don't, you don't follow the character <laughs> traits, let's say, <laughs> then it's not going to make any sense. Oh my God, I just envisioned some modernist painting of a guy standing in the heroic <laughs> posture. It's like a tragedy, I mean, yeah, in, yeah. in the wrong sense of the word. Yeah. Um, yeah, so <laughs> so that's, that's the trick that the kitsch painter uses to fool the audience into this lie that is, that is kitsch. Yeah. Uh, and it's, um, uh, you know, th there's another thing that Cook has a lot of good good uh, observations actually and he talks about the cat mm -hmm. have you read that uh i'm not sure do you know what it's about i'm not sure because okay i'm happy to hear that because that's one of my favorite stories too um, so he's basically saying that if you want to like he's that's quite pedagogical he's saying if you are a kitsch painter mm -hmm. and you want to really well, paint kitsch obviously what should you do you know, and he lists the things that you oh, should yeah. do and shouldn't do. Yeah. Like, don't paint washing machines. Mm -hmm. It has to have an emotional content, right? Yeah. Uh, and then he says that, well, if you should paint a cute kitten, mm -hmm. obviously, in order for the kitten to be cute, it has to look like a kitten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then imagine if the painter was so bad that the kitten just became blotches of paint. Mm-hmm then it wouldn't be kitsch anymore. But then, of course, he doesn't say it, but then I thought, well, what if it's not kitsch anymore, what is it? Basically, he's describing abstract art. Yeah. And that's, that's where I came to think about how, you know, really bad kitsch at some point becomes art. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you take the vantage point of, of kitsch, the worse kitsch gets, the more, the higher the art percentage. Yeah, yeah. Is, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're in opposition to each other. So yeah, yeah. if you are to just uh, flip the values yeah. of Kish, yeah. then you have the values of art. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I th and I think that, and again, that, that's the, the big takeaway with the Kish term. Same way that you described the, your dogmas, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which is, uh, you yeah, know, it's not a separate thing from Kitsch because you're a Kitsch group. 
but uh, these things are just guiding principles. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but there's one big distinction I would make here mm. between Kish and art, mm. and that is the fact that Kish actually has some sort of objective goals. You know, you must be accurate within a range. Mm -hmm. If people should recognize that it's a cat, yeah. you have to paint it well enough that it's going to right. be a cat. Right. But in art, it's much more religious. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just uh, these sort of uh, elite who are going to either canonize or not canonize a work. Yeah. And that determines mm -hmm. whether or not it is good art. Yeah. So, and the bastards, they are so cunning, they say that the artist has to suffer. So if you're following their rules and they don't pick you and you suffer, then you're a genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's irony too. They talk about the, the subjectivity of the experience, and then they set up a system where only the experts choose. Mm -hmm. So you don't have a chance with your subjective experience if the subjective experience doesn't align with what they want to choose. Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so <clears throat> what we are, uh, I wanted to mention two short stories uh, bef before we really get into what we're doing at the end here, mm -hmm. which is to talk about how these values of kitsch are the values of the Greek mentality, Greek-Roman mm -hmm. culture. Yes. Um, and uh, I had... I, almost laughed my ass off reading this. I think it was in, in the notebooks of Leonardo. Okay. And it talks about a Madonna that he painted. <laughs> and the, the customer is so desperate mm -hmm. because the woman is so beautiful that he craves her as a woman, oh, but yes. it's the mother of Jesus. Exactly. So he bring, he, uh, Leonardo brags I mean, if it was a fact or not, the fact that he brags about it is, yeah. is, is enough. He brags about how the customer came with the uh, image or, or, or asked him if he could paint over the religious attributes so he could just see her as a woman yeah. on earth. Yeah. Right? So that tells you something about the, the goal of, of painting. And then, of course, there's the, I think that's a fairly known story about the Canadian uh, Aphrodite. Uh, she was set up so that she can be watched from all sides because mm -hmm. that's what she preferred. <laughs> and uh, one young man couldn't handle it. Yeah. You know, it was too much for him. That was really too much. Yeah. Uh, so the next morning they found the stain on her <laughs> upper thigh. Like we don't have to go into detail, but I, someone, if someone has imagination, they can probably figure out what happened. So let's keep those as sort of headlines of the filthy business that we're in now. What, how can you um, prove or explain that these kitsch values are basic Greek values? That doesn't mean that as long as you just call yourself kitsch, you're just as good. Obviously, no, it's not saying that, but the principles are the same, yeah, right? Yeah, the value system. Right, so what's going on? Well, I mean, if you look at the poetics, mm. then you will find these exact same Aristotle's uh, aspects, poetics, yeah, yeah, Aristotle's poetics. The exact same aspects of Kish, you mm. can find there. Mm. And that includes things uh, like that he doesn't consider originality to be of uh, consideration. Right. It's, it's, it doesn't really matter. Like, like, like well, I guess it mentioned it to some degree, but that's not the issue. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. 
and he talks about the fact that the goal is to utter universal truths. Yeah. And that's just the same with Kish. Yeah. I mean, the utter uh, universal truths, that's, that's a parallel to archetypes. Yeah, I mean, it's the antithesis of the zeitgeist idea, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can find many more. Yeah. Uh, and in tra I mean, in tragic paintings. Yeah. You should try to evoke uh, feelings of pity and fear. Right, right. And, and that's really... <laughs> Again, that stands in a complete as a complete antithesis. Can you say that word for me? Antithesis. Thank you. Yeah. To the Kantian indifference. Yes. So there you have two two major uh, principles on completely opposite ends, right? Exactly. In opposite value systems. Yeah. Uh, but then and then there's yeah, <laughs> that's that's the thing too. I mean, according to Greenberg. I guess Aristotle would be completely mechanical in his. I mean, it's basically giving advice or describing yeah, yeah, how yeah. things yeah. work. I mean, in a way, that's Ar how you what yeah, you yeah. do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Aristotle he he gives dogmas in yeah. a way. Yeah, he says uh, basically, this is how you will achieve the greatest work. Yeah, and for poetry, uh, for plays, he even gives examples of some yeah. really good plays which yeah. he thinks succeeded. Yeah, and then uh, not only that. But he, he does emphasize the point that, okay, these are the dogmas, but overall, this is a methodology. Yeah. He, he's using the scientific method. You know, right. you should approach things empirically right. Right. and Find study it for yourself. Right, so you can do the same. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, he, I mean, he gives tips to poets and he gives suggestions. Right. But in the end, uh, what is most important for a poet mm. is that they actually study it themselves. Yeah. But then you also have things like, like if you go into general Greek uh, culture, I mean, and I always think of this is this includes the Renaissance, the nineteenth century, yeah, that that mentality. Um, if you go, if you really go into that and you see what they're trying to achieve, I mean, there's a there's the idea of how the, the Greek sculptures were painted, of, uh, for one thing. Yeah, I don't know if you read anything about that, but. I mean, I've, I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're basically saying that they looked like Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, clear colors, strong yeah. colors. That might be true of the archaic ones. That might be. Yeah. But you wouldn't have a sensual form and then paint latex, paint over it, exactly. and cover it completely, exactly. right? It's, it's very contradictory with yeah. the rest of their values. Yeah, yeah. And 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 the same thing with the laying the stones in the eyes of this mm -hmm. uh, this uh, uh, at least the. Obviously, the the um, metal figures, yeah. cast figures, and everything. There's even this story about there's different versions of it uh, about how they would add different metals in the casting mm -hmm. to, for example, portray great anger or paleness, mm -hmm. you know, because of imme immediate death or whatever. Yeah, and everything is clearly designed to attack or rape, as uh, Ortega y Gasea, the, the Spanish sociologist said, uh, rape the viewer. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the effects are in some ways what is most important yeah. for the actual kishmaker to handle. Mm. Because that's what's going to determine your success. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how well you can grip people. <laughs> and I mean, just because I think of, like, what does not work? Well, if you paint it too fast, too sketch-like, 
and there's this um, I forget the names because you know you don't have all the images are destroyed or lost so I mix up who said what to whom or whatever uh, of the Greek painters I guess it was okay let's say it was Xerxes mm. I might be wrong so there's another painter who brags about having painted things really fast and then Xerxes just replies yeah I can see that <laughs> so just kills it. <laughs> that was that was not technique uh, Machia. No, late, late no, no, no. Uh, no, that was sloppy. Yeah, but that that's an interesting, uh, uh, seemingly modern idea. Mm. Uh, Vasari writes some place. I think it's about uh, Michelangelo that it's painted as as if it was painted in one day. Mm. But the point is not that it was, you know, a fresh sketch. Yeah, yeah. The point is that he managed to, to create a totality in a big mm. format so that it was all part of one unified, yeah. cohesive atmosphere. And that it's, and, so, it's so concise. Yeah, yeah. And that takes a lot of work. Right? Oh, yes. Mm. And that's, uh, I mean, just to point out, Greenberg says that harmony is anti-aesthetic. Right. So that gives you a clear perspective of art yeah. versus Kish. Well, I... I I think you could say one thing, that in a way the Greeks didn't have aesthetics. Yeah. Because aesthetics is like in the in the Shiner's book, it's a really nice illustration, where they're they're standing looking at this sculpture. You, okay. you remember? Yeah, you remember yeah, that yeah. One? I think I know this one. Yeah, where where what does it say? The one they're standing with the hands like this, looking, the mm. stern look, and the other one they're gesticulating and wow, <laughs> doing like this, and that's that's affected sentiment. Yeah. Whereas the contemplation is natural yeah. sentiment. And they should be very stiff yeah. in just uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. looking at it without any emotional influence. Right, right, right. So that's obviously that's obviously the the art you know conditioning mm -hmm. of people. Yeah. And that's the that's the thing I, w I wanted to uh, at the very end here uh, talk about yeah. Well, conditioning for one thing, because I don't think Munch could have this transition from kitsch to art, mm. sensuality to color. Mm -hmm. uh, if the principles, the values weren't generally accepted. Yeah. So I have the idea that the thing that first and foremost has to be changed is the mindset. Yeah. They have to get an alternative. Yeah. And what is the alternative, Mister? Well, the the alternative is Kish. Yeah. That's that's how you ensure that you are going to know uh, where you stand and what yeah. you're working towards. Yeah. It's it's much more clear than art. Mm. And I would uh, recommend that people look into it and see what the values are, to read material or to listen to interviews, mm. what have you. Yeah. To clarify where they stand. But uh, yeah, furthermore. I mean, even as early as uh, as early as primary school, mm. they're teaching uh, not only in art class, mm. but also throughout the school with a very Kantian approach, mm. and they're instilling those values. So one big thing would be to actually allow for this Aristotelian value system to be taught in school. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, in the entire United States, there is not a single painting school, sculpture, what, whatever. Mm. There's not a single one 
where they actually have very clear-cut Aristotelian values hmm. or Kish values. Hmm. Right. And you're a part of the change. Yes. Yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Thurman, this has been a joy. Thank you for coming to the KO Palace. Thank you for having me. And thank you for watching. Remember, you can support our show at patreon.com slash caveoverpalace. I'll see you next month.